CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Taco Tuesday here on The Hash. We are still looking for a taco sponsor. So that is available for you if you have some extra marketing dollars to spend. Welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. If you are listening to us on the podcast network, we want you to hit the follow button and follow us on Apple and Spotify and leave a five star review. Not four, not three, but five. I'm Jensen Asi. My co-host today are Wendy O and Will Foxley. While you're leaving that five star review, also let us know how much you love them because they are amazing co-hosts. Hello, guys. Hello. Oh, good morning. Thank you. Also, too, to clarify, the only type of tacos we are interested in is not a taco coin or digital asset. It must be a tangible taco that we can eat. So please, Real, those I would take a digital only. asset version. Real edible tacos. I don't want the digital Easy one. to please, Wendy. I'm easy to please. All right. I, I mean, that goes against max, maxi ethos, but you know what? Got it. A man's <laughs> got to do what a man's got to do. Will with this taco <laughs> NFT in the metaverse. I can see it now. Food-based utility. Okay, I will take the first story. Let's go talk about Arkham Research, which we talked about yesterday on The Hash, actually, and then the story blew up even more. Yesterday, we talked about how they're going to do uh, a new program to basically airdrop its token to users who are going to start sleuthing through on-chain data and identifying wallets of potential people out there who are doing um, trading or any sort of on-chain activity. And then the news continued to compound and snowball. A lot of people did not like the fact that they were going to start breaking down the online privacy walls of the blockchain world. And now we have news of today that there's been a few blunders in the implementation and rollout of their entire project. The biggest one being of which from Danny Nelson's story here, that the original referral links for Arkham uh, revealed the emails for people who were giving out these referral links in the first place, which is sort of a a no-no for personal privacy. Uh, this team is definitely under pressure right now from crypto Twitter. I haven't seen a live roasting of a project like this in a few months, but I think it sort of just kind of comes back to a few touchy subjects in crypto, the biggest one of which being you cannot reveal someone's privacy. You cannot dox somebody. Doxing is a huge deal within crypto. And this project, for for many reasons, it, seems, it almost seems like a strategy, decided to lean into doxing people to get attention on its project. 
Wendy, I want to throw a story to you, get your take on it. Wow, wow, wow. It seems like the team of these people didn't really know what they were getting into. However, I do want to comment on the doxing thing. As far as crypto Twitter goes, they get to pick and choose who they dox and when they dox. And that's kind of an unspoken rule that nobody wants to talk about. But I'll say it because they've doxed me, they've tried to dox me and posted my personal information multiple times online. So shout out. But I think that we're trying to operate in a true decentralized economy and we're going to see projects like this pop up. However, I feel like they did a lot of not good things um, by doxing people with the email and with the ref link and that type of stuff. Like it just, I mean, technically they can do this because it is a true decentralized economy, but at the same time, it's not really ethically something that should be done. However, people can simply search, you know, Etherscan, different blocks, et cetera. Um, to pull information if they want to. And we've seen that happen before. Things are going to get real, real quick for a lot of people. And this is just a friendly reminder, you should be using a separate email for every single exchange you use. It should be something that is not directly associated with you at all. And um, learn a little bit more about OPSEC because people are coming apparently to, you know, make some money off of you. Jen? Yeah, you know, so many of these Web3 products we talk about on the show are supposed to solve the problems that we experience in Web2. And, you know, a lot of Web2 companies do do this, tracking you via your email and your different movements um, around the internet. And Web3 is supposed to be different, right? That's the ethos we talk about so much on the show. So to read this is surprising, but to see the company getting roasted is not surprising for me. I love that Danny Nelson is just out here doing doing the real reporting, exposing the projects that need to be exposed. I know he didn't um, technically expose, expose this one. This was something that was revealed on Twitter, but I just want to turn this into a Danny Nelson uh, fan podcast, to be honest. I think it's important to remind people, though, when we talk about your email being exposed, some people might think like, oh, it's just my email. I put my email everywhere. I email a lot of people. Who cares if my email is out there? I think it's it's important to remind people that if your email has ever been a part of any data breach, all of the information you provided along with your email that was breached in whatever it was. And, you know, huge companies um, have been breached before. Governments have been breached. One of the ones that comes to mind is like Marriott Hotels, hundreds of thousands of people who attended Marriott Hotels. uh, Information was leaked in a hack years ago. All the information you provide with that email address can now be coupled together and, you know, sold to bad actors or given to bad actors or used by bad actors. And so I think that's an important part to bring up uh, as we talk about this story. Will? Yeah. So one note we have to make, the CEO did address this yesterday on Twitter saying that they had changed the program for the referral links and now it's encrypted. So going forward, they won't have this problem. And the excuse or the alibi they used earlier for why this had happened was that they were a smaller company and that they had this referral system in place uh, from a beta phase. And so they hadn't changed it beforehand. And now it's changed as they've they've grown tremendously. Uh, The one thing I want to go back to before we go on to the next story is sort of just talking about like the purpose of privacy in crypto and what these wallet uh, services do. There's a few out there. Nansen is probably one of the other most famous ones. And essentially, the idea is, let's use the context of on-chain data to identify who is the owner of a wallet. And once you have the identity of wallet, it can sort of pair up with off-chain information. And then that can give you information about like, do I want to mimic the trading of this account, right? So take example of like a VC firm that has a prominent wallet, and maybe it's buying Bitcoin, or maybe it's buying Ethereum or another token. A lot of people will look at these wallets called whales, and they'll be like, hey, I want to mimic that person, or I want to time my trades with that person. And that's what these services do, like Arkham or Nansen and others do, is they provide context for trading. 
issue here is that Arkham kind of kicked the hornet's nest by saying, we want everyone to be able to go and figure out who these wallets are, and we will actively promote giving you money to figure out who these people are by doxing them, as opposed to something like Nansen, which uses more probabilistic information and sort of does it in a, in a neutral, agnostic way. And I think that's the real difference here. And maybe it works out for Arkham because a lot of people are talking about them now, and certainly people will use them if it's a good product. But on the downside, right, you've done a lot of harm to your service and to your brand. So hopefully they can figure out the way around it. Wendy, last word? I just can't believe that they blamed it on them being a smaller company, like inexcusable, but people will most definitely use their product because if there's money to be made, you got to do it. Jen, take over. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I, I think they need to get ahead of this from a PR angle. Will you, you mentioned you can't remember the last time crypto Twitter came for a company like this. I think it was Ledger. And I think that Ledger handled that um, really well from a comms and PR perspective. Uh, I don't know what Arkham has done. I saw that there was a Twitter Spaces before the show. So maybe maybe they're on top of it, but I'd like to see more. <laughs> but we can leave that. We can leave that story there and head off to the EU. Talk about Will's favorite topic. The EU has a metaverse vision and they could spend hundreds of millions of euros researching virtual worlds. The new plans could see standards and governance set for metaverse-like Worlds, the plans are vague so far, but EU executives say that this keeps the block competitive with one noting that virtual worlds could be worth $800 billion globally by 2030. That's just seven years from now. Will, what do you make of the EU trying to get ahead of the metaverse here? You know what? I'm confused most of the time when it comes to most <laughs> things metaverse and even more confused when it comes to things with the EU. We've talked a lot about the EU quite a bit because they've been a little bit more progressive than I would say the United States has been in terms of digital assets. The US is sort of looked at as like this capitalistic power, right? Where a lot of the money is and a lot of projects, especially in crypto, want to be based out of the US. But the laws, especially securities laws, has sort of hampered that development, especially with the recent lawsuits against Coinbase and even one against Kraken last year. The EU, on the other hand, is not seen as progressive in terms of the amount of capital you can get for a project, but it does look like the laws themselves are more progressive and they're actually taking like an iterative step in, in understanding this whole business. So the thing that we've talked about so much on the show is the Mika rulings from earlier in this year, not rulings rather, but just like the new implementation they're going to rule out, which allows them to look at DeFi and stable coins and wallets just as services and sort of start bringing these into registration. And then they're going to do a follow-up on Mika later uh, that adds more to it. It makes it more robust. But they're doing like an iterative approach where they're going to roll out things in step. Now, for the metaverse thing, I think there's some connection with crypto. I mean, you can spend tokens in the metaverse. They're both bleeding-edge technologies. But a lot of this, I just don't see the connection. And so it seemed like a little off. Also, just to devalue these things, they do a lot of projections, which sort of look like Excel spreadsheets that interns write up and then they just kind of take the valuation that is made on there. And it's always into the hundreds of billions of dollars that this new economy is going to be worth. It never really works out that way, right? So I think this story itself has a few parts that are interesting in terms of crypto, like the iterative approach, but then it has some stuff that's extremely speculative and I don't care much for, such as like the economic forecasting. Wendy? So there's a funny quote in this. Today, Europe throws its hat in the ring to become a world leader in Web 4.0 and virtual worlds. What happened to Web 3? What happened to Web 3? <laughs> I thought that like Web 3 is not even real yet. We're still like technically in super beta with that. And now we're talking about Web 4. So is Web 3 like a true decentralized economy where people get to own their data 
and their information and web four is like when the government step in or excuse me, the public servants step in and own your stuff for you. Like I'm trying to figure that out. And then another thing that I saw over here, it said the EU executive, which says virtual worlds could be worth 800 billion euros, which is approximately 880 billion globally by 2030. Again, yeah, Will, they just, they, they, are they just like getting Excel spreadsheet? Like, okay, when I was, when I was a little girl growing up, I would get a calculator because we didn't really have computers back then. I'm old guys. And I would plug in all the numbers and get all this, these huge numbers because from adding and multiplying. So is that what they're doing? Are they using Excel like this? Like, how could you value intangible worlds? Like, how do you even know how that's going to operate? There's no real guidelines yet. Yes, they have MICA, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's like, to me, that is more dangerous than, to me, that's like calling that, a, that finding a crypto gem and saying it's going to pump 10,000%. Like, that's what these people are doing. They are worse than the crypto YouTubers. Not myself, though. I'm the best. Of course. Of course. I, I think it's interesting that we've seen companies like Meta and Disney kind of pull back on their metaverse strategy. And now we have the EU, 27 countries come out and say, you know what, we're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars and research these virtual worlds because in the future they could be worth hundreds of billions of dollars. It feels very intangible right now. It feels like maybe there are different aspects of the Web3 or Web2.5 universe that we could be putting those dollars um, towards building out or expanding or even researching right now. I think what's interesting about this is that the EU is thinking about the metaverse and we have this like borderless virtual world that, that we talk about in all kinds of different facets. And now we're going to have like blocks like the EU or, or jurisdictions like Hong Kong playing in the metaverse. And does that bring now borders to the metaverse? And then now do laws from the real world extend to digital worlds? It's just real mind maze for me. This is like one of those cop shows where there's always that one special agent who's not really needed for anything. And then they just like give him a random task on the side or like, go figure this out for us. Go figure out how to like make borders in the metaverse to protect us. It's just like, it's useless and they know it, but they have to do it. So they have someone on the task. I don't know if it's that. Maybe I'm the person who would be on that task. And that's why I think that maybe it's not as useless, Will, as you think right now. I think in the future... We will see real reasons why these laws need to extend into digital worlds because our digital worlds are going to be mixed with the physical worlds. But I'm going to leave that there. Wendy, you get last words here. I just want to say, for the love of tacos, can we please get some sort of guidelines that is actually classifying this stuff and giving people instructions on what they can and can't do instead of just plowing forward? to web four. I am just beyond confused. It seems that it's just wasting taxpayers time and money when we can actually be doing something productive. <laughs> All right. Well, let's leave it there. According to a report by Chainalysis, the multi-million dollar exploit of cross-chain bridge protocol multi-chain could have been an inside job. While cross-chain bridge protocols have shown to be lucrative for hackers, Chainalysis presents some suspicious information and points towards a rug pull. Will, going to toss this one off to you. Multi-chain is like the second or third largest bridge protocol. And now some new information from Chainalysis is saying this, you know, maybe it's a rug pull. What do you is think? It, that this sounds is a bad. juicy story, Jen. You brought a juicy story to the hash today. I was bummed it You're was welcome. on the second half of the show. 
Hopefully people have been sticking around. Sometimes Uh, it just happens like that. It's good stuff. So yes, Chainalysis put out this report. It's pretty robust. Definitely go take a look at it if you're interested. First thing I want to start off with is the name Bridges. Bridges are not bridges. Bridges are fake. Bridges are just multi-sigs with a little fanciness added on top of it. If you look at the information here, you'll basically see that Chainalysis is speaking to the fact that this bridge, again, bridges don't exist, was controlled by the developers of the chain who use a thing called multi-party computation or MPC in order to break apart the different keys that owned this bridge, again, bridges don't exist, to this wallet so that they could have some sort of semblance of privacy or safety about it. Basically, you take all the keys to the, the bridge, give them to different participants or different developers or different owners of the bridge, and then when they put them all together, you'd have the ability to use the bridge however you want or exploit the bridge or pull assets off of it. And that's what looked like happened here. I believe that the team wanted to have all like the different parts of these keys through the MPC separated into the wild so no one person could take over the bridge and exploit it. But it looks like someone might have been able to put all the parts of the key back together and then did exploit the chain for about $125 million worth of digital assets. Now, there's a few things here that are of note. One is that a lot of the assets that were on this chain were actually centralized. So that'd be WBTC or wrapped Bitcoin, which is issued by a custodian called BitGo, and then USDC, which is issued by Circle, uh, a private company here in the United States. And so we'd think that if someone was going to exploit this chain, that they would try to get their hands out of those assets as fast as possible because they can blacklist it. And typically, that's what we see in these sort of hacks. The second part about this is that the CEO of Multichain recently went missing and people have been wondering what happened there with him. We don't know a lot about him. They use uh, an anonymous name. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors here, but there are some things about how this bridge was set up and then the follow through of execution of this hacking event that leads it to look like either a rug pull or some sort of insider event. But again, a very juicy story we'll be unraveling for a little bit. Wendy? I think this was just a rug pull. I think what happened was I feel like a lot of people didn't practice proper risk management during the bear market. And they just said, holy F, we're just going to do this. And I think that's exactly what happened. I don't think that it's like it needs to be super mysterious. I don't think it needs a lot of investigation. We see this time and time again in the industry. And I apologize for being so crass. It's just I cover this every day on my show and well, similar stories like this on my show. It just kind of sounds like a mix between Quadra X and the million other rug pulls that we've seen. I'm sorry to everybody who got hit by this. You guys, bridges are always very, very risky. Like when you're practicing, when you're using any type of DeFi stuff, I don't care what it is or how tried and true it is. You have to understand most of these things are still technically in beta. You wouldn't put your whole entire life savings into buying a lottery ticket. And that's what a lot of these things are. And it's okay to use moon bags. It's okay to use disposable income. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of risk associated with this stuff. And you're also like, even though we're supposed to be operating in this true decentralized economy, and you were supposed to trust, not verify, we're still technically relying on people building these things and we're relying on their code. So if you're not somebody who really understands the code that well, be super careful, have fun, dabble, but just bear market stuff. I don't know if it was Will's hand or Jen's hand. If you guys want to fight over this one, I don't know. Will, you go quickly and then I'll take it. One quick one. First, Wendy, I love how you just identified it and called it from the hip. That was awesome. Two, The thing that points against that is the centralized assets not being liquidated or moved. It doesn't really look like they're trying to get out of them, right? And that's like a substantial amount of this hack. 
still this person is probably going to be okay because they have like a lot of money that they can probably dump on the market. The fact they left like $80 million plus of WBTC and USDC on this and didn't try to liquidate it in any sort of way makes it look like it might not be a rug pull, but we shall see. Jen? Well, you said exactly what I was going to say. I was going to outline all of the suspicious things that led up to now, including the CEO, you know, potentially getting arrested in China. That was like the, the explanation that was given. And the team um, suspended service for more than 10 chains. Then Binance, I think, ended support for multi-chain. And I was going to say, but this whole centralized piece, you know, makes you wonder. And you, you took us there. So let's go to our next story, Wendy. Oh boy, one of my favorite topics ever. So Vanguard now owns approximately 560 million worth of Bitcoin mining stonks. They bought more stonks from Riot Platforms and Marathon Digital. Vanguard has $7.2 trillion assets under management, which is a little bit less than BlackRock. I think BlackRock is what, like nine, 10 trillion. They bought 10% stake in Bitcoin miner Riot blockchain, increasing Riot holdings from 15.2 million shares to 17.9 million to over um, approximately 281 million in stock. Also to Vanguard increase its Marathon digital stock holdings, Mara, by 60% from 10.9 million to $17.5 million. Again, this is the absolute grift of the century seeing traditional financial firms come into Bitcoin and crypto assets because they have been fudding our bags for I don't know how long. And they already own most of America, BlackRock and Vanguard. Leave our crypto alone, man. Come on, leave our Bitcoin alone. But again, they can do whatever it is they want to do. Will, I'm going to throw this over to you because you're our mining person, I believe. I am. I do work for a mining company. So some insights into this that I think are useful. It's the fact that these two miners are probably the most well-known. They're not necessarily the oldest publicly listed miners, but they're most well-known. They've just had like a lot of uh, press about them, both Riot Blockchain and Marathon Digital. So whenever you see an investment firm come in, they typically purchase these two miners versus all the other ones, regardless of all the other mining stocks that are out there, which out of all crypto companies out there, miners have the best representation on public uh, public exchanges because they have sort of like an operations set up as opposed to a lot of these other companies, which are all just like token-based. Uh, the second thing about this is this actually sort of shows you that there's a lot of interest in institutional adoption of Bitcoin. They just don't have a great means of purchasing Bitcoin at the moment because there's no ETF or there's not a lot of products out there. Maybe they don't want to buy GPTC or they don't have the ability to do that. And so they go and buy mining stocks because there are securities that are out there already floating and you know, just gobble them up and they trade basically like Bitcoin. If you look at the history of the two assets over time, they trade almost against each other. The last thing here is that this is actually good for the mining industry and for the general crypto industry to have these institutions come in especially when they come in size, because there's a lot of disclosures they have to make about dumping on people, right? So once you start purchasing above a certain percentage of stocks or shares, you have to fill out a lot of information, let a lot of people know that you're going to start liquidating your shares. And that's a good thing, right? Because we're not just going to have like all these tokens that get dumped by foundations or by whales all the time randomly. So something to pay attention to. Jen? The road to boring. I think a lot of people have been saying, you know, what an odd time for all of this institutional interest to kind of come into the crypto space because the SEC has the lawsuit against Coinbase, against Binance. I, on the other hand, don't think it's really weird at all. The institutional interest we've seen has all been around Bitcoin. Bitcoin has not been mentioned in either case that the SEC has brought against Coinbase. 
and Binance. And I think that institutional investors have been looking for a way to gain exposure to Bitcoin for a long time. And now there are, and so they've had time to research and they've had time to do all of their um, due diligence and, and internal pondering and get all of the approvals. And now we're going to see plays like this happen, whether it's an ETF, whether it's investing in mining stocks, maybe it's buying a bunch of micro strategy stocks, although I don't know if that's the best that's the best business decision for any of these asset managers. But well, I wanted to point out that difference, that all of this institutional interest has a real focus on Bitcoin. And we have had heard the SEC say that they view Bitcoin as a commodity, while almost all other cryptos could be viewed as a security. And I think that's why we're seeing so much institutional interest. And I know, Wendy, I, I agree with all of the points you made, but this is the same thing I said when Larry Fink came out and said that Bitcoin could be the future of currency. That is not a direct quote from him. But I think that it's it's good. People who don't listen to us, who don't take in the crypto news, are, are hearing these people who have been commenting on business, commenting on finances for a long time, talk about it, and maybe it will encourage them to go out and do their own research. Will, you got any last thoughts on this? I like that Larry Fink said that. And not a direct quote, but... Not a direct I like quote. That. I like it. A little uh, embellishment on that one, but it's good stuff. That's my last thought on it. Wendy, not fun. Taco Let's put the taco sign up. Yeah. Zach's where, where on there. That? Remind that? everyone that we need a taco sponsor and we miss Zach. Yeah, Zach, Zach is taking a you. European summer vacation. He's just enjoying Good for himself. him. Mm-hmm. Zach, we mm-hmm. miss you. Thank you guys for watching Queen Dust the Hash. Jen, I'll let you close this out because you're better at it than I am. <laughs> Thank you for watching the Hash on Coindesk TV. Thank you for listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Don't forget to give us five stars and talk about how much you love us on the Podcast Network. If you don't love us, don't leave any comment. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. I'm Jen Sinassi and Will Foxley and Wendy Oh here with me today. See ya. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.